Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning on this. uh, It's a nice warm Saturday, and I believe the sun's going to come out a little later, and we're still going through all these changes over the last few weeks. It's been on-again winter, on-again spring. It's been pretty unique and difficult to schedule, but I think we're turning the corner. I think we'll still get some cold days. In fact, I think they're talking about possibly a little snow on Sunday night, but I don't think it'll amount to anything. And little cooler, but then it warms up into the 60s by the end of next week. And I think we'll start seeing more of those warm temperatures than the cold ones, which is going to mean open water. In fact, I think Boyd Reservoir is going to try to open for boating tomorrow. But you would want to check their website or call them because I didn't get a chance to drive by and look at it. But uh, during the course of the show today, we're going to talk a lot about wildlife in the first hour, both hunting, conservation, uh, affinity groups, those type of things. And then in the second hour, we're going to talk almost all fishing. We're going to kind of get up to date. We're going to have the Blue Quill Angler come on and talk some fly fishing. Uh, Nate Zielinski and uh, Ronnie Castiglione will join us, and we'll talk some uh, regular conventional fishing and kind of get caught up on the conditions. I got to get caught up a little bit myself. I was uh, in California last week on assignment, and thanks to... uh, Brad Peterson for filling in admirably, as he always does. We've got some great contributors to this show that really fill in and and take care of things when I'm out of town and even call in and keep us updated because they're all over the state and there's, there's a lot going on. And we'll cover the fishing part of that more in the second hour, but let's go right to the phones because we're going to start out by talking about affinity groups and what they bring to the outdoors and how important they are. And one very important group is Ducks Unlimited. And joining us from the Ducks Unlimited in Fort Collins is Pete X. Good morning, Pete. Good morning, Terry. How are you doing this morning? It's a little cloudy, but it's supposed to get really nice. Uh, uh, probably, probably, if anybody is out snow goose hunting this morning, they probably get the birds flying a little low, so that'll help. But uh, do you snow goose hunt at all? Um, actually I do as much as I can. Unfortunately, uh, you know, we do it in the uh, fall. We, uh, head up with a bunch of my friends up to, uh, Saskatchewan. And then of course we do a little bit over on the, uh, Eastern side of Colorado as well. Well, and you know, the snow goose is, well, we're going to talk more about ducks unlimited, but the snow geese actually came back so strong that there's actually an overabundance and they're damaging the habitat. There's so many of them. Is that right? No, that's exactly right. Terry. And, you know, snow geese, uh, actually come down uh, so ducks and other uh, waterfowl and, and their populations grow so fast uh, you know, they tear up uh, farmland uh, and other areas and like that and it's really uh, a conservation effort uh, to go out and harvest these animals to make sure that we've got enough waterfowl you know and they have feed and everything else to go around but right now and I want to get to the ducks unlimited but right now we're, we're in the conservation season for where where you can harvest uh, the light geese or snow geese, and there's some different regulations. There's no limit. You can use recorded calls because we do need to harvest them. But I've seen, even in places like John Martin Reservoir here or out at even Sterling or Jackson Lake at times, 
when the sky gets just black. It's just amazing the number that'll be in a flock sometimes, isn't it? It's uh, it's amazing when you're sitting in a layout blind and you've got tens of thousands of the you know snow geese and Ross geese just kind of circling and tornadoing into your blind. The dogs are getting excited, and uh, yeah, it's really quite a it's quite a you know event to be at, and it, it's really fun to be out there. And that's going on for a while, folks. So check on that if you haven't done that before. But let's get to Ducks Unlimited. Now you're with the Fort Collins chapter of Ducks Unlimited. And you have a funding event, which is your big uh, banquet coming up here shortly, and we'll talk about that. But anybody who's followed the show knows I'm a huge supporter of the affinity groups and what they bring to the outdoors. I mean, the conservation, the community, the camaraderie, and our political voice. Why don't you tell us just a little bit about Ducks Unlimited? You know, Ducks Unlimited uh, was started in 1937. It was a handful of sportsmen that had got together and really had the vision to understand uh, that water uh, conservation and wetland restoration are so important, uh, not only to waterfowl, but to, you know, big game and small game and, uh, you know, people as well. Uh, And they had the vision to put together this plan uh, that right now is an intercontinental approach um, and science-based to water conservation and wetland restoration. Uh, Right now we have about 50... Sorry, Terry, but we have about 55,000 volunteers across the United States. It's a volunteer-run organization, uh, and uh, it's it's a great bunch of guys and gals, and uh, we get together and, and, you know, try to make sure that we've got wetlands uh, for everybody, uh, not only today, but uh, for the future as well. No, and you're absolutely right about the the importance of wetlands and riparian areas. They they're the basis of life throughout the whole ecosystem. Without those, very little happens. And even people that don't hunt waterfall need to understand what this has done if you're just wildlife watching or you just believe in conservation of our resources and our wildlife and our and green areas where you can walk. Uh, it's so, so important. But it takes a You mentioned volunteers. There's a lot of volunteers to go into Ducks Unlimited, and a lot of the work is done. But it also takes funding, doesn't it? No, that's exactly right. Uh, the nice part about Ducks Unlimited uh, is that 84% of all the money that we receive uh, through funding efforts through our banquets and rent comes back to the state. Uh, and then through local, state, and federal grants, we get actually five to seven times as much uh, with those matching funds to use in projects uh, in all four corners of Colorado. What Can you uh, tell people maybe the type or some types of projects that Ducks Unlimited has done right here in Colorado? Yeah, Terry, right now, uh, uh, Martin Grenet, who's our head biologist uh, and works with a, you know, a team of engineers and biologists, uh, has projects going on the, the South Platte, uh, up in North Park, uh, down in the San Luis Valley. Uh, and if you look at the map, it's, it's scattered across uh, all parts of the state. Uh, uh, we've had uh, well over, uh, you know, a couple thousand projects completed. Uh, and right now we've saved over 100,000 acres of wetland uh, and restored uh, those wetland areas uh, since 2016. Yeah, and so the money that people spend, we'll talk about the banquet here in a second, the money that people contribute, whether it's joining Ducks Unlimited and getting the magazine or just auctions at the banquets or in any other means they donate, it does come back to help the entire outdoor community, and it goes to a national uh 
a national fund, but then that fund comes back multiplied, and you really get to do some really great things locally and nationally, too. I mean, because the nesting areas and the migration routes and all those things are so important to Waterfall. So let's talk about your event that's coming up, I believe, in about two weeks. Is that right? Yes, that's right, Terry. Uh, March 14th uh, at 530 at the Hilton uh, in Fort Collins. We try to get, uh, you know, you know, 300 to 350 of our closest friends uh, and supporters of Ducks Unlimited or anybody that's really interested in, in the outdoors and conservation together. Uh, your entry uh, fee gets you a year's membership into Ducks Unlimited, a great dinner, and we get great sponsorship uh, from folks like uh, Tim and Carol over at Horse and Dragon and uh, the Odell's group in New Belgium, you know, from uh, supporting our uh, event. Uh, Otterbox does a great job uh, as supporting us as well. And we get so much uh, support from our local vendors. It's really a great event and a fun place to, to spend an evening. So when I come there, um, there'll be, hopefully you'll get three, 400 people, get a nice dinner, but you'll have a lot of items, I'm sure, to auction. What kind of things will you have to auction off there too? You know, it's really been fortunate this year that we've had uh, so much support uh, from local vendors. We've got pheasant hunts. Uh, we've got fishing trips. Uh, we've got a custom-made uh, fly rod uh, that was donated by the Wyoming Fly Fishers Association, Women's Fly Fisher Association. Uh, yeah, there's just about something for everybody. Uh, we've got uh, dinners uh, at uh, Tony Lubick's Steakhouse. We've got them at the at Chimney Park. Uh, we've got them. Um, once again, I think we've just got a little bit of everything for everybody. Now, do you need to pre-register? Do you sign up? You probably want to know how many people are coming. So how do you sign up for it? So you can go um, on uh, ducks.org uh, and then check events and go to uh, the Fort Collins chapter. You can do it that way. Or a simple way is ducks.org backslash co hyphen Fort Collins or FT Collins. Uh, that'll get you online, and uh, just follow the instructions, and you can sign up there. All right. That sounds great, and that's two weeks from now. And, you know, the, the, there's other reasons, even as important as the funding is, but joining Ducks Unlimited and attending meetings and going to the events, uh, I've always been a firm believer that whether you're a, 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 a waterfall enthusiast or pheasant hunter or big game or just a conservationist, the organizations like Ducks Unlimited, Trout Unlimited, the Elk Foundation, the Mule Deer Foundation, Pheasants Forever. By attending those meetings and supporting the groups that really are into the activities that you enjoy, you accelerate your own enjoyment because you sit there, and I'll, I'll bet a lot of ducks are shot at that banquet. <laughs> you there? Well, Terry, yeah. You, you know, it's, yeah, it's a really, really nice network of, of folks. Uh, you know, once again, we're, we come from all walks of life, you know, men, women, children. We've got the Green Wing group as well. Um, but the neat part about it is that, you know, if you're traveling in Kansas or you're up in South Dakota pheasant hunting like that and you happen to break down, you can look up who that local representative for Ducks Unlimited. And I'll guarantee you they'll come out and, and help or at least put you in touch with somebody that, uh, that can help you with, with whatever opportunity you have. Yeah, and then when you're at the banquet or the meetings during the year, uh, you're going to talk to people that waterfowl hunt right here in Colorado, and they're going to give you uh, tips on, well, you know, there's some public blinds over here. Or there's some 
private land or guides that are available here. And, oh, you know what? This is the, my new shotgun, and these are the loads I've been using lately. All those kind of things that accelerate your uh, learning curve and your ability to enjoy your own activity makes it so great. You know, and we're fortunate in Colorado. We have two flyways here, and everything I've heard is that the waterfall hunting was actually very good this year. Is that Was that your experience? No, absolutely. Uh, you know, we don't probably have as many uh, as ducks as, say, someplace in Arkansas where they've got, uh, you know, Stuttgart and um, in some of those flooded timber areas. But it's, uh, I think we have a, a plentiful supply. We are in a great flyway. Uh, of course, we see enough of the Canada geese around. Uh, and, of course, the uh, as we talked earlier, the uh, snow geese out on the eastern plains. Uh, but it's an avid uh, waterfall hunting area, uh, and it's a, it's a great place to be. And a couple of places like the San Luis Valley and North Park, uh, if you'll go out early in the season, we have some great resident duck hunting, too. No, absolutely. Uh, it, it's uh, not an area that a lot of people know about, so you don't see a lot of pressure, and I think that helps in the hunting. So tell people again the dates, times of the banquet, and how they register. Uh, go on ducks.org, uh, check events, uh, and find Colorado in the Fort Collins chapter. Uh, the date is March 14th. Doors open at 530. Uh, we'll have a, a full sit-down dinner and uh, silent and live auction. Uh, the date is, and that's at the Fort Collins Hilton. All right. Pete, thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully you get a great turnout at your banquet. Thanks, Terry. Have a great weekend. You bet. That's a PDEX from Ducks Unlimited. Great organization. You know, folks, uh, we're going to talk a lot this hour about conservation, about protecting wildlife, and some actual hunting and a few things. But uh, we're going to talk about the big game draw, which is coming up, too, and later on this hour. But these organizations, you know, Colorado Parks and Wildlife does a lot to um, facilitate the management of our wildlife, you know. And sometimes that's through licenses and and bag limits, but a lot of times that's through habitat. And their their resources are limited, too. And when they can partner with, uh, you know, other groups like the Forest Service and Colorado Parks, but also when they can partner with the affinity groups like Pheasants Forever and Ducks Unlimited, we've created some really strong partnerships, and we have a tremendous outdoor resource uh a pool of outdoor resources available to us in Colorado that everybody should take advantage of. You know, we're going to take a break. We come back, we're going to talk about another means of conservation and protecting big game right here in Colorado on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. All right, the Eagles. Did I tell you I'm going to their concert in March? Yeah, I think you mentioned that. Yeah, I think I'll probably mention it again before I go. Did I tell you I kind of like the Eagles? I think you've mentioned that as well. All right. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going to go right to the phones. And we have two uh, people joining us, one with Colorado Parks and I believe one with National Forest Service. We have Michelle uh, Cowardin and Ashley Nettles. Good morning, ladies. Hey, good morning, Terry. Yeah. Did I get that right? You did, yeah. Okay. With the Forest Service. All right. So we're going to talk about a, uh, a project, and I'll let you describe it here in a minute. But I guess if I was going to do the Reader's Digest description of it is that at times animals run out into the highway and they get hit by cars. And that's not good for them, and it's not good for us. 
So we did a project a while back on, I believe it was um, Highway 9, and we'll get an update on how that's working. But now we're looking at a new project. So maybe one of you can fill me in on the new project and what we're looking at. Um, yeah, I'd be happy to give you some background information on what we're doing here. Um, so a few years ago, and uh, this is Ashley with the Forest Service, uh, we uh, had a mitigation project through, it was, there was actually a CDOT highway realignment in Frisco. Um, and some of the impacts from that were not ones that we could mitigate right there on site. So instead of doing on-site mitigation that didn't really make a lot of sense to help the critters out, we worked with CDOT to do some off-site mitigation, including um, developing a Summit County Safe Passages plan that um, identifies wildlife connectivity across the landscape of Summit County. Um, and we continued to bring different partners and stakeholders to the table for their input to understand where those uh, primary linkage areas were, where our wildlife vehicle collisions were the highest, um, so that we could actually move our wildlife across the landscape to get from one chunk of habitat to the next. Um, and then after bringing all those different state stakeholders and partners to the table, um, it continued to develop and we refined what we were looking at here and 17 linkages rose to the top for um, areas that were really important in Summit County. Um, after a couple of years of working on this and actually finalizing our plan that makes recommendations for these different movement corridors for wildlife, uh, Summit County Safe Passages has actually evolved to be a nonprofit that all of the partners are a part of. Um, we also identified uh, out of those 17 linkage areas, a few of those are ones that we're focusing on in the near term, um, uh, largely in part to uh, the threat maybe of those connect, uh, connections right now or the uh, opportunity that we might have to work with partners in getting some wildlife crossing structures built. And one of those is in uh, the, on the east side of Vail Pass. So we are looking at uh, several crossing structures on the east side of Vail Pass. All right. Now, there's little more to it than just putting a crossing structure in uh, at it's unfortunate that we can't put a stoplight there and the animals will wait. And then when they get the green light, they'd cross, but they're not too cooperative <laughs> in that way. I, 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 I got to relate a story to you ladies. You'll appreciate this. Uh, I can't remember where it was. It was somewhere up by conifer evergreen that they had put in the sign for either deer or elk crossing on the highway. And this lady commented, why would they want them to cross there? This is such a busy road. <laughs> but That's unfortunately misconception yeah yeah but the animals you know they have natural paths and you know anybody who's an avid outdoor person understands game trails and animals tend to travel in certain areas more than others and they use certain almost like highways and it's not just the big game it's um, a myriad of animals we did a project on highway nine that maybe is similar and I think Michelle knows something about that. Michelle, tell us what, a little bit about what you did on Highway 9 and update us on the effectiveness. Sure, yeah. I was on your show a couple times talking about Highway 9. Uh, Highway 9, south of Kremlin, we did a project with CDOT on 10.5 miles, put in seven structures, five wildlife underpasses, and two wildlife overpasses, the first in the state. And that project was completed in 2016. We're doing a five-year monitoring project. We just finished looking at year four data. 
And to date, we've had an 88% reduction in wildlife vehicle collisions. So our prior to the con, uh, construction of the crossing structures and putting in the fence, we probably averaged about 63 wildlife vehicle collisions a winter. And we're down to about six this past winter. So that's been a great success. And then the other great thing across those seven structures in four years, we've documented over 80,000 movements of just mule deer. That doesn't include all the other species that are using those structures. So, you know, it's, it's a great example and it's really like energized the state to look at these in other areas. I believe you told me that a, a pair of mating links even use the structure. Is that right? No, not in this. No, not in this area. But we do have links on the Vale Pass, and oh, that's vale why Pass. the okay. Vale. Yeah, the I seventy corridor. We're not going to see that kind of numbers for ungulates using the I seventy corridor one, with twenty two thousand vehicles on that highway a year. Animals aren't even really attempting to cross the highway, so it's more of a barrier now. But right at Copper, in that area, we do have uh, a known breeding pair of lynx, and we know that they do cross I-70. And so that's one of the important aspects of the Eastvale project Now is to connect that habitat and make it safer. Now, Ashley, on the Highway 9 project, it involved overpasses, underpasses, and fencing to kind of, um, it probably couldn't total prevent, but to kind of, inhibit crossing other than at those at those points are you looking at a similar approach now by veil yeah we sure are um anytime you want you do these crossing structures it's always better to build somewhat of a system rather than just a single structure um and with those structures you're always going to want to do wildlife fencing that's going to funnel them to the structures you don't want those structures to be too far apart either so that animals walk for miles along the fence before they can actually cross the road so similar to highway 9 on the eastvale pass area we have three proposed crossing structures within about a two a two and a half mile section and that would also involve fencing um, what's different about uh, interstate 70 on the eastvale pass side is that you essentially have, well, you have a divided highway there. You've got a huge median in the middle with a wetland area, a creek running down, as well as the rec- recreation path that goes through the middle of that. Um, on the eastbound lanes, as you're coming like back from Vale and down Vale Pass, that section of highway has several, I think five uh, span bridges where the creeks come underneath. So animals can actually travel underneath the eastbound lanes of the interstate. However, when they get to the westbound lanes, there are no bridges until you get nearly to the summit of, top, of uh, Vail Pass. Um, so they're crossing at grade there if they're even attempting to cross in the first place. Uh, so we are looking at uh, two wildlife underpasses and one overpass to uh, connect up with those span bridges that are on the eastbound lanes. So the, the crossing structures would only be on the westbound lanes so we kind of create a system uh, where animals can have various places that they can choose from to cross underneath or over the interstate on both lanes. Um, so what makes this project a little bit more doable, I guess, is that uh, instead of going over four lanes of highway for these structures, we would only be going under or, or over two. And that's currently being um, investigated right now. We have an engineering company wood engineering that is looking at the feasibility of those crossing structures and what the exact dimensions would be 
um, any major red flags that we need to look out for. So we are in the first phase of design for those three structures, which is really great. Well, and uh, I don't want to dwell on this because I want to get to another point, but the connectivity isn't only for highway safety and for animal safety, but it allows wildlife to total access to the habitat, which is much healthier for them and the habitat, right? Absolutely. If you were to go stand up on Vail Pass, like get out of your car, pull over to the side, not that we're recommending that, but um, and then hike up into the woods a little bit and get a look at the landscape. It's a relatively intact landscape. You have Eagle's Nest wilderness to the north side of the interstate and then the south is nothing but forest for miles so um, you really are reconnecting a landscape in addition to improving driver safety uh, making it permeable for animals to get to where they need to go Um, there are elk and deer herds up there that have probably not crossed the interstate in decades due to the high traffic volume. So to be able to give them the option to move south or move north is going to be something that hasn't been, they haven't seen in in ages. Now, where are you guys at with funding? Tell me, where do the funds come from and what can we do to maybe get better funding or help you? Uh, Well, funding is always the biggest issue with uh, big capital projects like this. Uh, We've been really fortunate. We have an amazing partnership with so many people in the community, and I think that's what's going to make this uh, a really successful project. We've received funding um, to date for the initial phase of design from Vail Resort, from Arapahoe Basin, and from the Center for Large Landscape Conservation. Um, we A lot of our little stuff, our website, our education and outreach, those types of things have been funded through smaller organizations like Newly Fanatic Foundation. Denver Zoo is a huge partner for us, Rocky Mountain Wild. Um, so we've received a little over $200,000 so far for the large capital piece of this, and that has gone directly to contractors who are working on the feasibility and uh, first phase of design for these three structures. Now We do need more. Right. Now, if there are organizations or individuals that see the merit of this project, and they should, where would they go to find out how they might get involved and either donate or find a way to contribute in some way? How would they do that? Uh, We have an absolutely gorgeous website that's really fun to look at with all the critters on it, Um, and it's called summitcountysafepassages.org. So you can Google us and find us there. Um, There's links all over the website for donating. There's also ways to get involved in some of our citizen science monitoring that we're doing on Vail Pass as well. So you can come out in the field and see it for yourself and see what kind of animals are using the habitat adjacent to the interstate. All of that information is available on our website at summitcountysafepassages.org, or you can also find us on Facebook. All right. We've got to run. We're out of time. It sounds like a tremendous project. Thank both of you for joining me today, and hopefully the continued success, and we'll see more of these type of projects to make human and animal interaction safe and wonderful for all of us. Thank you so much. Thanks, Terry. You bet. Thank you. They're from both National Forest Service and Parks and Wildlife, and the one project I know about, the one on Highway 9, was so successful. And, you know, it, it eliminates danger, but it also is so helpful to the movement and proper use of the habitat and the animals spreading throughout the habitat. So it's good for hunters. It's good for wildlife watchers. It's really good for everybody in our state. We'll take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to talk about what's going on with the big game draw, which is open now. And some of the changes and some things you need to be aware about right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. 
You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We are going right to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Travis Duncan. Good morning, Travis. Hey, good morning, Terry. Hey, tomorrow is uh, a big day in big game hunting, right? That's right. Tomorrow is March 1st, and that's when uh, big game primary draw applications are opening up. Uh, they'll, they'll be open uh, through tomorrow, uh, tomorrow through April 7th at 8 p.m., um, so we're encouraging folks to get in early, uh, figure out you know where they're interested in hunting this year, and, and make sure they've got all their information correct in the system, and, and so they're ready to, to have a good season and, and draw that license they're looking for. Now, over the last couple of years, the system and the way we do the draw has changed. There's been some fee changes, some requirement changes, and even some deadline changes. Um, do we need to review maybe a few of those? And then there's a few added changes. Maybe we should uh, touch on those, too. What are some of the important things that hunters really need to know right now? Definitely. So we always remind folks to to check out the, the 2020 Big Game brochure online or go into an office and get the print uh, version. Of course, the online version, sometimes they make updates. So we do push folks to that online version to see the, the latest stuff. But, but some of the stuff they'll see in the what's new section in the front of that brochure includes um, adjustments to license fees. So uh, the Future Generations Act uh, that passed through the Colorado legislature in 2018 uh, allowed Colorado Parks and Wildlife to uh, adjust our resident license prices to keep up with the cost of inflation. So um, most most hunters will see a difference of 30 cents to a few dollar increase um, on their licenses this year. Not a lot, but but that's allowing us to keep up with that cost of inflation, uh, which is 1.3% since last year. Uh, and actually, our, our bear license prices have gone down, so so hunters might notice that. Um, another thing that's that's relatively new is is qualifying licenses. That was that was new last year. Uh, so, so that means in order to apply for the big game draw, you need, a, you need to purchase a qualifying license first. Um, there's a list of what those are, but, but it includes uh, spring turkey licenses, um, annual small game, uh, resident combination small game and fishing. Uh, there's veterans lifetime resident combination small game and fishing. Uh, and we also have two new ones um, that folks should be aware of. There's a, there's a senior combo, so folks 65 and up can get a small game and fishing combo license. That's a qualifying license. And there's also, uh, if you're a disabled first responder, you can get a small game uh, and fishing license. That That is also a qualifying license. And, and so, let's, let's make sure they're clear, too. The The idea of the qualifying mm-hmm. license is that, that you're not just coming in and buying a big game license, that you're an avid outdoorsman and you're getting your search and rescue and all those things. So the qualifying license is always involves some form of usually small game or, or bird hunting, right? Right, usually, and um, and and it, it mimics what what's happening in a lot of other states. It, it um, makes sure that we're um, you know we're we're getting that money to put back into the resource. Um, we don't have folks just uh, applying for the for you know their dream hunt for twenty years and then you know but really not putting any money back into the the resource you know into the habitat, taking care of our animals, taking care of the wildlife. So so that's what it's for, and a lot of other states do it. Um, Colorado's just kind of mimicking what other states are doing in that sense. Uh, to have these qualifying licenses, and um, it's a positive thing. It it, it uh, is a way for you to get into maybe um, if you haven't done it before, maybe to get into small game hunting or get into turkey hunting and um, learn about other kinds of hunting in Colorado. Yeah, and it the idea is that you don't want somebody just building points and never contributing till they get that one time hunt because the license fees are so important to our maintaining our wildlife. There's something else that's changing this year, and you used to have. We used to have a leftover license sale. Now that's going to change. Tell me about that. Sure. So, 
so that that is changing this year um, a little bit. So the secondary draw is what we're calling it. It's replacing what was known as the leftover draw here in 2020. So hunters who who don't draw a license in this year's primary draw, or really anyone could apply to it, but it, but we're encouraging folks. You know, you don't get that that hunt you're looking for in the primary draw. Uh, check out the the secondary draw. That's that's replacing the the leftover draw. And um, so most elk, deer, pronghorn, and bear licenses that don't get issued through that primary draw are going to be available in the secondary draw. Um, and so applications for that will be accepted uh, June 5th through July 7th. So that'll that'll be coming up later in the year. But but folks should be aware of that, you know, if they don't get that primary draw, definitely get into that secondary draw. And, of course, Colorado is one state where if you don't get any draws, we do have an over-the-counter elk uh, seasons, which makes big hunting, big game hunting available to everybody who's really, really interested what if I'm just I want to get started hunting or I'm really new to it and I'm just lost? What are the resources that can help me? Well, there's definitely lots of resources on our on our website to, to kind of meet you where you're at. So our website cpw.state.co.us. You can go there, um, check out our hunt resources on there. We've got some programs for beginners you can apply to. We, you know, if you've got you know a certain area you're looking at hunting but you need more information, um, you can definitely call CPW's hunt planners. Um, and they can, you know, talk you through, you know, what you're planning to do. Um, we also have, so if you go to the website, we, um, we also have a plan your hunt page, which is very good. Um, it's got a whole list of different different things you can scroll through to really start to think about what you're going to do. But, uh, of course, if you're a brand-new hunter, you're going to want to start with hunter, edu- sorry, hunter education, uh, get that card, um, learn about the basics, um, and then just taking that class will really give you some ideas of where to go from there. Now, now that's an online process, and I, are the deadlines at one time, did they change from like midnight to 8 o'clock, or am I thinking of something else? But tell me, what is the deadline? It opens uh, March 1st. When do I have to have it in? And is there any little tips on the online process? So it, it goes till April 7th at 8 p.m. It did used to be midnight, so it is 8 p.m. now, so we're encouraging folks to, to know that. Um, you know, it's not going till midnight now. It's 8 p.m. on April 7th. And... Um, so some common, I suppose, tips, you know, for applying, if, if um, when you apply, check your receipt. That's probably the biggest thing. Uh, we want to make sure you have your qualifying license and your big game application in. Um, our call center is stressing everyone to check your receipt and make sure your hunt codes are right. Uh, and don't wait until the last minute. You don't want to be right up against that deadline at 8 p.m. trying to, to figure out what you're doing. Uh, by getting in early, making sure all your information is correct, taking that time, you know, if you have questions to call, um, and talk with a hunt planner, uh, that's going to really help your experience and make sure you, you get the hunt you're looking for. Um, so that's the biggest thing. Um, if you are, you know, folks can apply by phone or, sorry, at, by the website at cpwshop.com or go through our website. We'll link out to there. But if you're going to apply by phone, uh, folks should know you don't call our call center number. You call our vendor, Aspira, um, and that number is one 800 2445613 uh, and a reminder to hunters if you're applying by phone make sure you know you, the hunt codes that you're going to be applying for before you call that's that's pretty important all right we got to go we're out of time but any last comments other than uh, the draws is open now get your planning done get your uh, get in there and you know and we're we're going to tell you in a couple months get out and start scouting definitely i think that's that's the main point get in there early make sure all your information is correct in the system and Start thinking about, you know, what, what qualifying licenses you'd be interested in getting and, and what you're going to hunt this year. It's an exciting time. All right. Travis, thank you so much. Always a great time. It, you know, it's just kind of like uh, 
fishing and talking fishing and sports and talking sports. Getting this draw period is that one of those adrenaline moments, too. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Terry. Appreciate it. You bet. Travis Duncan. We'll take a quick time out. When we come back, uh, Michelle Siebert's going to join us. And she usually joins us from Bar Lake. But she's going to be talking about Pheasants Forever right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones. And Michelle, having really good upbeat music to bumper us in is so appropriate for you because you're always so upbeat and optimistic. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today, Terry? I'm doing great. And you usually call us about all the great work you do at Bar Lake, but you're also heavily involved with Pheasants Forever and uh, I don't know if you caught early in the show, I was talking to some Ducks Unlimited people. And our affinity groups are so important, not only to the hunters, but just people in general, because what they do for habitat and those type of things. Uh, and Pheasants Forever is certainly one of those groups, isn't it? They are. You know, the mission of Pheasants Forever, they're dedicated to conservation of pheasants, quail, and other wildlife through habitat improvements, public awareness, education. I think that's what the best thing is. You know, a lot of times people think pheasants forever, you know, that they're just worrying about pheasants or quail, and, and that's that's not the, the deal. You know, they're really about conservation and improving the habitat for all wildlife. Well, and that's exactly true because what happens is um, animal pheasants and some of the other animals, it's very difficult to manage them uh, for, for parks and wildlife or any even with the help of organizations, you know, you can do so much where you do some planting of game and things, but really quality habitat is always the key. Now there's things like weather we can't control, but the same habitat that those pheasants and quail live in are going to have so many other animals. We have, you know, we have turkeys and white-tailed deer and rabbits and everything else out in the plains and the, the birds that just live in that habitat for people that just want to go birding. It's phenomenal. And that's what makes these affinity groups so important. Another thing I think that's really important right now is the political climate and the outdoorsman, especially the hunter, uh, isn't always the most favorable. And the groups like Pheasants Forever, Ducks Unlimited, they give us a voice, a unified voice with the politicians, too. They do. You know, it's just they're a great benefit to um, being in the outdoors and a, and a great organization to be a part of and, you know, be with like-minded people. I um, mean, if you've never hunted pheasants before, um, you know, it's a great organization to get started with. Now, why don't you, uh, you know, I know we're going to talk about the banquet. And we'll get to that in a minute. But why don't you tell us some of the kinds of things that Pheasants Forever does right here in Colorado? Well, you know, they've done a lot of habitat um, restoration. Even at Bar Lake, they've helped us with a pollinator plot, some food plots for our dove population. But they have biologists clear up in Craig, um, you know, where they're um, restoring habitat for all wildlife. We do lots of education, um, education outreach. We were just out yesterday with a a group of ladies um, at Valhalla um, and took them out on a hunt. So there's all these things that they do, and it's free. You know, all their education programs, taking people out on mentored hunts, it's free. Now, women shouldn't be out hunting. What are you talking about? 
Now, Terry. Now, you know that there's somebody sitting across from the glass from me that is a much better shooter than I am. And, and you know that I'm a huge believer in women and families and children getting into the outdoors. Of course, I was being facetious. But yes, I know. It, it is tremendous the way these groups and you guys do a lot of youth things, too. We do. You know, we we do a lot of um, youth activities, whether it's a shotgun clinic or just education, um, habitat restoration projects. You know, we're just trying to get families and youth to enjoy the outdoors, understand hunting and conservation. Now, so many of these groups, so much of what gets done gets done by volunteers. Now, you have Pheasants Forever does have paid biologists and things like that, but it takes funding. And so these banquets and these events are how you fund these organizations. Now, you're affiliated with the South Metro chapter. Tell us about your banquet, when it is, and what we can expect. Yeah, so the South Metro chapter is the 13th annual banquet, and it's on March 14th, and it's at the Denver Marriott South in Lone Tree. Um, The doors are open at 5, dinner's at 645. We have drawings, raffles, we have special auctions. We have a whole kids area, so it's really family-friendly. We want um, people to bring kids. There'll be lots of activities. It's just really for the whole family to come out. Now, do you need to register in advance? I imagine since you're going to be serving dinner, you need some counts. How do you sign up, and how do you uh, get registered? Yeah, so you can go online to register. So you're going to go to southmetropf.org, and you need to do that soon, um, probably by the 9th, um, because we do need to let the hotel know how many um, people will be coming. Our, our limit is 300, and we will probably reach that. So the sooner you can sign up by going to southmetropf.org, the better. And, you know, I, and as I was talking about with Ducks Unlimited, this is true of the Elk Foundation, uh, Turkey Federation, all these groups. And that's it when you attend these groups, whether it's a banquet or just monthly meetings, and you get their, their communications and their magazines and things, it accelerates your ability to enjoy that aspect of the outdoors because you you mentioned you talk with like-minded people. You rub elbows with other upland game hunters, and you're going to talk shotguns and loads and where do you go hunting and what areas are you in. And it really just is a great experience overall, isn't it? It is. It's just connecting with, with people to be in the outdoors, and it's just a great organization to be a part of and make a difference in the outdoors. Well, and I, and I can tell you that you guys have had an impact here in Colorado, and I talk about this with Ed Gorman all the time, who's a tremendous biologist. And over the last maybe 12 years, we've seen the pheasant hunting uh, go up and down. It's so weather-dependent, obviously, in the spring when the hatch comes. But it's, it's, it's been really consistently pretty good and getting better on it. The trend is really getting better. And we've had some tremendously good years. I think last year was a, a very good year with lots of birds. And it just shows you the effect you're having. It is. It's, it's been great seeing the number of birds increase. So tell me again, dates and times where you register. Yes. So the South Metro um, Banquet is on March 14th at the Denver Marriott South, which is in Lone Tree. Doors open at 5. You can register at southmetropf.org. We have lots of raffles, great prizes, a whole kids' area, ladies' raffles only. Um, it's just a great time to come out and support a great conservation organization. And, you know, all kidding aside, because I love seeing women get in the outdoors, and as you being an outdoor enthusiast and knowing Karen involved as she is, my wife and producer, uh, 
the industries have really stepped up with clothing and equipment made to fit women. You no longer have to struggle to try to make do with men's men's equipment and clothing, do you? You don't. You know, that goes from clothing to guns. So, you know, they're really – and it doesn't necessarily even have to be women. It could be a small statured person. You know, there's really a lot of opportunity for different equipment to fit whatever size you might be. 30 seconds. Since I got you on, what's the ice conditions at Bar Lake? Any? You know, we do have some ice. There's, um, it's beginning to be more open water. Um, we were out, Brighton Fire was out doing ice rescue um, training, and there was six inches out in front of the boat ramp. So we do have some ice. All right, Michelle, thank you so much. And I'm sure we'll talk to you again as we get to open for boating and fishing season out at Bar. Yes, have a great day. All right, thank you. That's Michelle Siebert. What a great resource she is. And what a tremendous, tremendous person. She's just so fun to talk to and We're going to take a time out here, and we come back. We're going to switch gears, and we're going to talk more fishing. As Nate Zielinski will join us from Tightline Outdoors on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.